my wife and I, we are, we are incredibly blessed. We've been coming to Reality Ventura for about a year now. God called us um, into this church and just to fellowship and to be a part of it. And just the, the amount of health and faithfulness to Jesus has blown us away. And we are so blessed to be here and be a part of this church family. And I'm excited to be in the Word with you this morning. So we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Uh, so if you don't have that version, it'll be up on the screen for you. And we are going to be speaking on, as Dominic said, the Sabbath. So Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get into it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest. And he has said, as I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints us a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards in the word already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm going to say that again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given him them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. This is God's word. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for a humility amongst all of us, Lord, that we would um, receive what you have. You love us so dearly that you would appoint days for us to contemplate you, to to bask in you, and to be filled by you. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that we would mirror that same concept here this morning as we sit and we just listen to you. Lord, whatever is said of me this morning, I pray that it would be totally forgotten, but whatever is said of you, may it be etched upon our hearts for all of eternity that you would do something radical in us, that you would restore our souls, set our minds upon you, and build a firm foundation upon which we can worship you. We love you. We want to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray these things all in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. So the book of Hebrews is actually pretty interesting. Uh, It's literarily written a little bit more like a sermon than it is a letter. It is a letter. It's a letter to the Hebrew people. But as far as the structure goes, it's written much more like a sermon. And specifically to a group of Hebrew Christians who are slowly discovering something that we probably have discovered in the Christian life as well. Which is, the Christian life is not as glamorous as you might think coming into it, right? And the Hebrew Christians are realizing this. They come to Jesus. They have this restorative experience, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they're met with persecution, resistance, all the insecurities they had before. Some of them still remain. And so there's this residual sense of, wow, this Christian life, it's actually kind of hard. 
It's actually kind of uncomfortable at some points. And they are contemplating going back to the faith under the law as they were before. Because these are Hebrew Christians. These are people who are Jews and who have now converted to Christianity. And they're contemplating going back because it's easier. There's less persecution. Which is why the book of Hebrews is constantly making the case that Jesus is greater than any old pillar that they had once put their faith in. That Jesus alone is someone that they should put their hope in. And they are being compared here by the the Hebrew pastor here. They're being compared to their ancestors. Right? They're being compared to their ancestors in the same way the Israelites were led out of slavery. You you guys know this story, right? God leads them out of slavery. He parts the Red Seas. He leads them out. He, He makes food just appear. Like, let's not act like that isn't insane. Like, he just makes food appear, right? He makes water come from rocks. He parts the sea. It's crazy. I think sometimes because we grew up with all of these stories, we don't think that they're crazy. They're insane. It's awesome. Like, God, God put a pillar of fire, just a huge pillar of fire to just guide them through the night. Insane. It's so cool. And God has been doing these things in their lives. And he has promised them this life that they are to enter into. But they're slowly realizing, wow, before we get to this promised land, there's a wilderness that we have to traverse first. And and there's this great sense of, oh my gosh, all my stuff, right? Or how am I going to provide for my family? Or this is really uncomfortable. This is more dangerous than I thought it was going to be. And so the, the Israelites who were led out of slavery, out of Egypt, they, they all had this contemplative moment where they're like, maybe we should just go back to slavery. Maybe we should go back to slavery. And this is the same thing that the Hebrew Christians are doing now. They're saying, maybe it would just be better if we went back to slavery. Right? This is the same thing I do. And so the author of Hebrews says, don't let your heart grow hard. Don't let your heart grow hard. And how do we get a hard heart? The same way that the Israelites did. The same way that the the Hebrews are in this passage here. When we fix our eyes on the stresses and the anxieties of life rather than Christ himself, there is a very real anxious, wow, should I be here? What do I need to do to get me out of this bad feeling? And that calluses our hearts. causes us not to be able to listen to God. And that is the people, what the people of Israel did here. The second they were met with uncertainty, the second they were met with uncertainty, they immediately wanted to go back as slaves. They wanted to do things on their own. Since therefore, it says in verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Guys, that's how, how a hard heart grows inside of us. So cynicism and stress grows. It, it grows in us when we fail to embrace this rest that God has to offer us. So much stress and anxiety builds up. And God had set this life before them, a life filled with joy. Now, it was not a carefree lifestyle, right? It's not like everything was going to automatically be easy. It was not a carefree, easy life. But what God had set before the Israelites, what God had set before the early church, and what God sets before us is this life filled with joy at the crossroads of rest and productivity. 
of resting and being fulfilled in our souls, feeling satisfied, but also not being lazy, accomplishing things for the kingdom. But Israel, just like us, they can't handle true rest. They can't handle true rest. And all of verses 1 through 11, they're using the mistakes of Israel to be pointing us to this fact. Do not, do not for the sake of your own soul, forsake the Sabbath. Do not forsake the Sabbath. The author of Hebrews actually associates our disobedience towards God as a result of not resting in him. Of not entering that rest that he freely offers. Of not taking the Sabbath seriously. So the author of Hebrews says, you're filled with disobedience right now. That disobedience, it's the same disobedience that was in your your ancestors thousands of years ago, which is not entering God's rest. And for those of you that don't uh, know what the concept of the Sabbath is, it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. We see in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, it says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servants. For those of you that have those male and female servants in your house, right? (laughs) Got to give them a break. As well as this, this might apply to you, your livestock, right? Those of you, don't be working your livestock. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy and hebrews 4 4 quotes this and he says hey hey even god the maker of heaven and earth the god who holds the galaxies in the span of his hand who has numbered all of our days who has counted every single hair on your head who who knows the number of every grain of sand upon the earth And has named every animal and knows them all personally says, I rested. Even he rested. And that's one of those things that's actually insane to me, right? That God, the maker of heaven and earth, rested. Because that brings up a whole bunch of questions in my head. Which is, does God even need rest? Did God get tired? If he's tired, that means he's not perfect. If he's not perfect, what the heck are we doing here, right? So, so it, it, it kind of, my, my, my brain starts going, which is, why did God rest? And the way we automatically think about this actually reveals our attitudes and our concept of rest. We think that rest means we need to take a break because we're tired. But if we can pump ourselves with enough caffeine, right, we can pump ourselves with enough caffeine to make us, and, and maybe possibly get enough sleep. We don't need a day off. Boom, America, right? <laughs> we rig the system, medicate ourselves, right? If we're not tired, we don't need rest. Or maybe some of you, freaks of nature, don't get tired, right? I, there's some of you, right? You know those people who just run, run, run. I use this example, like, like, my, my, like my dad's like that, like, just like, why, why are you tired, It's freaky. It's creepy, actually. (laughs) Some people don't get tired. But I would say this. You know, some of us feel like, well, you know, I'm not tired, so I don't need a Sabbath. I don't need a rest. I don't need a day off. I'm going to use this to get my chores done, to do my side hustle, whatever it might be. Some of you millennials are like, side hustle, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
secular prophet Gary V. Not everything he says is true. I would say that other than idolatry and lying, other than idolatry and lying, this is the main commandment broken today in the United States. Other than idolatry and lying, we hate rest. We hate rest. We hate it. Because if we need rest, that means that we're weak. And if we aren't busy, it means we're not productive. And if we're not productive, we aren't important. Right? If we're not productive, we're not important. That is why for some of us, our Sabbaths or our days off, they're filled with chores, catching up with everyone we haven't seen, working on a side project. We need to be busy. We need to put our hands to something. When you ask someone how they're doing, what are the two answers we usually get? One, good, right? Good. Okay, right on. Two, what? Busy. Busy. Because busyness denotes importance. When you ask me how I'm doing and I say busy, I'm saying, I got a lot of things to do. People need me. I'm significant. And even when we're not busy, we, we say busy because for us, there's this certain status that is busy. It means our lives mean something, right? And the pastor of Hebrews, I, I could just, I just picture him banging on the pulpit and saying, don't let yourself be swept into disobedience by not taking the Sabbath seriously. Rest. For the sake of your own souls, rest. And we yell back, but there's so much to be done. I'm fine. I'm not tired. Neither was God. And he still did it. Taking a Sabbath, a day of rest, is not just about recharging our batteries. It's not just about recharging our batteries. It says, and actually in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, that God rested on the seventh day after he made creation. Now listen, God designed a specific day for rest. It is written in the DNA of our world that there ought to be this day of rest. We are called into the same practice of contemplation and appreciation. God did this wonderful thing, creating the world. And he kept saying, it is good, it is good. And he took a day to step back and say, wow. And he took a, he, he took a day to rest and enjoy in the fruit of his labor. We, we see that in Ecclesiastes where, where Solomon says, it is, it is good for someone to eat, drink, and enjoy the fruit of their labor. It's a day of contemplation. A day of rest is not just a day of relaxation, it's a day of contemplation. We see that. It's a day to not just function with your family in the daily routine, right? For those of you who have kids, you know, getting this person to and from school, getting them to practice, getting them to extracurriculars, play dates, all of these things, right? Some of you work multiple jobs and you're going from place to place to place, right? Our week is busy and a day of rest, a Sabbath day, as God is to say, look at this work that I have done. Look, look at how beautiful life is. So not just a day to function with your family, but to enjoy your family. Not just a day to be in the, in, in the, in the daily task of life, but maybe to enjoy the people around you or to enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's a specific day for enjoyment. And so here are three things that the Sabbath does for our hearts. 
the three things that the Sabbath does for our hearts. One, the Sabbath causes us to listen to God. Causes us to listen to God. God made the Sabbath day specifically for us to be still and look around at all he has done in and around our lives, right? All that he has done. Psalm 46.10 actually says this, be still and know that I am God. You've heard that verse, right? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's interesting, the term be still in its original translation means stop working. Stop striving. Be still. Know that I am God. God wants to speak to you. He wants you to know him. He wants to speak to you without the laptop open, without the school books open, with all, without all the busyness around. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to me. It was interesting uh, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah after this incredible victory against the prophets of Baal, just this amazing feat of faithfulness and the Holy Spirit doing something radical, and God actually says, come away with me now. After the victory, he says, come away. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 12, he says this, then he said, go out and stand on the mountains before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Some of us cannot listen to the still and quiet voice of God because we live in a mobile and loud world. There's so many loud things that are competing for our attention, isn't there? Just in the daily life, there's just so many things that are demanding, just holding our faces and saying, I want your attention. Whether it be media, whether it be familial obligations, whether it be work obligations, whether it just be you cannot take your head out of your phone, whatever it might be, there's all of these things that are commanding our attention, demanding it even. And in all of these loud things, we're listening and desperate for the voice of God and for him to speak insight into our lives and life into our lives, and we just can't hear it. If you're anything like me, you've had these moments of just your head is crowded, I have this all of the time where my head is just so crowded with clutter and and noise. And I can't hear God, especially when I just need him to give me guidance. And so a Sabbath day is a time for us to unplug, just listen. His voice is separate from ours. And I think that's something that I don't realize enough is that his voice is independent of ours, and his thoughts are independent of our thoughts, right? I think in the daily tasks of life, because we're always just responding to immediate needs, you know what I mean? Like, there's all of these things that just immediately need our attention, and we're responding to it because it's our job, or because it's the relationships, and we're trying to do the best that we can, and we're supposed to. But I think sometimes, in the daily, you know, just stuff of life, I tend to think that God's voice is my conscience, 
And so when there's these decisions to be made, and when I'm deciding, oh, is this a good decision or a bad decision? Should I do this or this? Sometimes I just think like God's voice is just like my conscience. And, and when I'm living in a really loud world, sometimes my internal dialogue and God's voice, I just can't differentiate. I just can't tell the difference between the two. You ever had that where you make a decision thinking that it was God telling you to do so, but it turned out just to be your own thoughts, right? And so a day of Sabbath is a day to take a step back and say, God, this is your voice. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to turn everything off. This is about you, right? And so the Sabbath causes us to listen to God. The second one, the Sabbath causes us to trust in God's shepherding provision. Here's the thought that I usually have, and that you might have had as well, is that I can't take a day off. There's too much to be done, right? I can't take a day off, or at least I can't take the whole day off. There's just far too much work to be done. And God says, exactly, exactly, there's too much work to be done. That's why you need me. And by surrendering a day to God, we communicate to him, and more importantly to ourselves, that our work does not own us. Because our society and us, really in our hearts, I, I feel like we're, we're constantly just trying to define ourselves by what we do, right? Defining ourselves based on what we do. And when there's uncertainty, when there's things that we need as provision in our lives, we look to ourselves to meet those needs. In Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Meaning, in the presence of my shepherd, I need nothing. He provides for me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You know, like God God describes himself as a shepherd, right? And that's not necessarily because a shepherd is this really highly esteemed term that inspires praise in people. Actually, back then, it was a very lowly, very just not really thought of, very highly positioned to hold. And God decides, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, to describe himself as a shepherd. And there's, there's this interesting thing I saw. I was at a sheep farm, and there was an electric fence because it was right next to a highway. And it was a sheep and goat farm, and, and I just remember watching, and I, I was younger, and I didn't put these two and two together until much later on, but uh, this sheep just kind of like walked in, got zapped by the electric fence, and then I could just see, like, the sheep's just like, oh, and then just walked right back into it. That's us, right? That's us. God describes himself as a shepherd, not because that's a highly esteemed term, but because we're sheep, right? We're sheep, Therefore, he's the shepherd. Sheep, think of a sheep, huge, big, poofy, heavy bodies with these tiny little legs. Everything wants to eat them. Everything. Like the easiest prey out there. So, of course, sheep would be filled with anxiety all the time. I wouldn't sleep if I were a sheep. And some of us don't sleep. Because we are like sheep. We're filled with anxiety. We're skittish. We're prone to let our anxieties dictate the way we live our lives. I make so many decisions centered around fear of what might happen. Fear of not providing for my family. Fear of not being liked or accepted. Fear of being irrelevant or lonely. 
I'm a sheep constantly afraid of what might eat me. And I have this desperate need when there's a void in my life to fill it myself, to provide for it myself. And for some of you, it's finances, so you think that you need to just work 24-7. But for some of you, it's emotional or relational. You feel lonely, so you feel like your days off need to be surrounded with just as many people as possible. There's different voids that we try and fill in our lives. I have a desperate need to provide for myself. If there's any lacking, any void in my life due to insecurities, lack of finances, status, I will try and fill that. A day of Sabbath is a day to stop working and say, God, my life is in your hands. I am provided for because you are my good shepherd. The Sabbath causes us to trust in God's shepherding provision. The third thing that it does is that the Sabbath causes us to find our identities in Christ. I cannot tell you um, how many times I've actually heard this. I, I listen to a lot of sermons, um, you know, read a few books, but usually they take me like six months to read. Um, but I, so I like to listen to sermons a lot. And I'll listen to sermons from the United States. I'll listen to sermons from uh, you know, all over the place. The UK, sermons from New Zealand, Australia has a lot of great preachers that I just love soaking that in. And I, I have heard so many pastors say, Jesus is our rest now, so we don't need a Sabbath. Jesus is our rest now, so we don't need a Sabbath. And others saying, well, Jesus performed miracles on the Sabbath. That means that we can work on the Sabbath. Jesus kind of restructured it. And you know what? I've only heard American preachers say that. I've only heard American preachers say that. Because there's a culture in the United States of who we are is a result of how hard we've worked. Which is not the gospel, Right? As Christians, as people who put their faith in Jesus, we say, who I am is a result of what God has done. It's a result of what Jesus has done in my life. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? He didn't say that the Sabbath is now irrelevant. He said the Sabbath is about me. This doesn't mean that faith in Jesus replaces the need for a restful Sabbath. It means that the Sabbath is about finding rest in Jesus. I'll say that again. Faith in Jesus does not replace the need for a restful Sabbath. It means that the Sabbath is about finding rest in Jesus. In Hebrews 4.11, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He says strive for that rest, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? He's saying work to rest, right? Work to rest, but meaning, hey, you need to try and find rest. It's not something that's just naturally going to happen. Because you know what? We're not just going to naturally just, you know, wake up one morning and be like, wow, I have absolutely no obligations at all in my life. That hasn't happened to you since you were nine years old. So if you wait for that restful Sabbath to just come, it's not. You have to be intentional about it. 
have to be intentional about re-centering yourself on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, it says later on in verses 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect, in every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Sabbath, finding that day, it's meant for us to recenter ourselves in our identities as children of God. A chance for us to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace and our help in our time of need. Jesus is awaiting anxiously to just pour upon you love, adoration, just grace. He wants to fill you with rest. And a Sabbath is a chance for us to draw near to that throne room of grace and just soak in all that God has for us. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus has a similar call where he says, Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In my weekly grind and just what I do every day, it's filled with unhealthy habits and living in the flesh, right? My soul can sometimes get just shriveled up like a tree that isn't beside water. It just, I, I can get shriveled up and feel empty. But I'm, when I'm with my shepherd in the presence of God, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And this is really important is that it's not the day that restores us. It's not the day that restores us. It's not time off that restores us either, right? It's not time off that restores us. We know this, right? We know this. How many of you have been on a vacation and come back more stressed out than when you left, right? <laughs> right? So we know, we know this, right? We, we know that it's not necessarily just taking a day off that automatically makes you feel restored, refreshed, and renewed. Oftentimes, it will actually make you more anxious and angry and in need of a vacation for your vacation. It's not the time off that restores us, it's Jesus. He is the Lord of the Sabbath and the source of our rest. I need that to sink in. I think oftentimes we think that habits create holiness, when in reality it's holiness that creates habits. And we think if we do a certain Christian practice that all of a sudden it will make us feel whole and feel good with Christ. But in all reality, it's the heart behind God has made me holy and set apart for him and so I'm gonna come away with him. And he will start to establish. It, it takes work, you know, to, you know it, and when I say work, I mean, it, it just takes trial and error to figure out Sabbath, right? You'll figure out what makes you feel rested, what restores you, what doesn't, right? And um, I'm going to go with some, you know, advice on how to take Sabbath, you know, soon. But I'll just say, everyone's different with how they receive rest, right? 
Like, I, I love surfing, and when I'm out in the water, even if there's no waves, I just love just being out in the ocean and just soaking in God's presence and, and, and just being still with him. But then for, for some of you, you're like, I got no clue what's in that water. <laughs> I have no clue how big the waves are going to be, right? I, like, in that you feel like more stressed out than ever, right? Being on, so what may bring rest to me may not bring rest for you, Right? But one thing needs to be consistent is that it draws you closer to Jesus. That whatever you do is life-giving. And so some, some, just some little advice before we wrap everything up. Um, and, and, and this isn't, like, by, like I'm, I'm not, like, infallible, right? So this is just some advice, right, for you. Is that, hey, hey, this is, you know, through trial and error, what my wife and I have found to maybe work, maybe not work, right? And so take it with you, Will. We're, you know, we're all unique, right? Um... One is that it doesn't matter what day it is as long as it's most of the day, right? Church history dictates what usually the day of the Sabbath is for Christians, but that's not necessarily scripture that tells us that, right? That there's a seventh day for everyone. Some of you, your only day off is Tuesday, right? So Tuesday is your Sabbath. And so it doesn't matter what day it is as, as long as it's most of the day. And when I, when I say most of the day, I mean, you know, like early in the morning, if you had to go and like drop your kid off at soccer practice and the soccer game, great. But then when you got back, it's time for rest. It's time for Sabbath. It's time to enjoy the family. It's time to do all of these things, right? It needs to be most of the day. Enough time to where you're spending time with Jesus and you're not looking at your clock being like, oh man, I only got five minutes left with Jesus, right? That happens, right? That's our daily lives, right? I mean, you know, we, we spend time with Christ, but it's, it's under a time constraint. You know what I mean? Right? Second is do something that you enjoy and do something different. Do something that you enjoy, right? Do something that's life-giving to you. If you're begrudgingly saying, oh my gosh, like, of course, I guess I'll do it. That's probably not the most life-giving Sabbath experience for you, right? And not to say we don't do good on the Sabbath, right? I've, I've helped a friend move on the Sabbath before because that's life-giving to him. It's important for our friendship, right? Jesus did good things on the Sabbath. But it needs, it needs to be a day of enjoyment of Jesus, of your family, of one another. And do something different. That means if you're a fisherman, don't go fishing, right? Means if you're a computer programmer, just shut that laptop, right? You'll be, you know, tempted to, you know, get some emails and, you know, get work done, right? If you are constantly, I'm constantly on my phone for my job, and so I just need to, like, I don't take any text messages. I I, I usually just don't text anybody, right? And so if you, you know, do something different, right? Do something that you might have wanted to explore and you think might be fun, go and try it. Try it as a family, Third, use that day to contemplate and meditate on your relationship with Christ. We want to be purposeful with this. This isn't just a day where, oh man, like Dominic and I were talking, we both kind of have like the same deal with where I love just unwinding at the end of the day with like food and Netflix. (laughs) That's just something like no one else can relate, huh? Yeah, no one. I, I, I just love that, you know, like, I, it decompresses me, right? I get to, like, just shut my brain off really quick, right? And, um, but, but I have to use my Sabbath very carefully and that I'm creating enough space to really be purposeful in my relationship with Jesus, 
where I'm journaling out my day. God, what have you done this day? What have you, what have you done in this whole week in, in, in the busyness? Because if you don't take this day of rest, and here's just a, a, a warning to you. If you don't take this day of rest, it will slowly leak out into other areas of the week. What I'm saying is, is that our hearts, the way we are created, God has created us for a day off. God has, God has created us for a day of Sabbath rest. So if we are not faithful to really be intentional with it, what will happen is that we will find unhealthy outlets for rest throughout our week, right? That, might, that may just result in being on Facebook too long at work. It might result in um, not paying attention to your spouse at the end of the day. That might result in possibly you, you know, binge watching Netflix, right? It might maybe just one too many drinks at the end of the day. There's these unhealthy ways that we find outlets for rest if we are not being purposeful in our week of letting God take these burdens from us. Saying, let me restore you. Let me be with you. Uh, the last one is don't schedule anything on that day. Your schedule doesn't own you. God does. And, 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 and hey, you know, for some of you that are very, like, schedule-oriented, list-oriented like me, like, I love my schedules. I love my list. My wife and I are the same exact way. But what, what, we, what we have to realize, and, and I've already said this before, is that we can't put a time limit on enjoying our family and the Lord. We can't say, all right, I'm only going to enjoy Jesus between 8.30 and 9.30, and then I have to be here, right? Allow yourself to say, do you know what? I would love to do this on the Sabbath. I would love to go and do this. I would love to go and do this. I would love to go to the movies, or I would love to take my kids to the zoo, or I would love to go on a date with my wife, whatever it might be. You're allowed to plan that, but don't schedule out your day to which you put Jesus and your loved ones in a box of I only pay attention to you here. Because we do that throughout our whole week. And I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, and this is something that, that, that God really like put on my heart. And just as we're preparing our hearts for worship right now, and I think this is really what we're trying to convey here is that there was one point in my life, it was just a, a few years ago, where I was engaged to my wife. Um, you know, we were planning a wedding. I was doing full-time ministry. Uh, I was in, you know, ministry does not pay for a wedding, right, or a honeymoon. Um, so I was also cleaning carpets on the side. I was coaching volleyball on the side. Uh, and all throughout that, I was trying to finish up college, getting my, uh, I was getting a double major at the time doing full-time school. And I was doing okay. And I think that's the habit in some of our lives, right? Where we, we wait for burnout. And so I thought I was handling it pretty well. It wasn't like I was burning out. It wasn't like I was, you know, like going crazy or anything. But I remember being in this passage in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says this. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up from my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. 
I remember God telling me this, and I think it's a word for all of us here this morning, which is God saying, I am so proud of you. I know your works. I know how hard you've been working to provide for your family. I know how hard you've been working to make sure that your kids are experiencing a fulfilled and happy life. I know how hard you're working at school. I know how hard you're working with your friend group. I know how hard you're working at all of these things, and I'm so proud of you but I miss you. I miss you. My beloved, my bride, I miss spending time with you. Let me adorn you with love. And if Jesus is the groom and us, his church, the bride, then we have to do more than the the passing text messages of daily devotions. We have to find a time to sit with him, to be with him. The broken heart of a a God that wants to just adorn you with so much love and say, my beloved, come and enter into my rest. I want to give you so much. Will you come away with me? And as we worship and as we take communion, that's, that's the heart that we should be bringing to the Sabbath. saying, Lord, I want to be with you too. I miss you. I miss you. And communion is up here. And it's, it's very interesting the way, the way that communion, um, the way that Jesus did it. He said, this is, this is my covenant. He poured the wine. He said, this is my covenant. Take and drink of it. And I won't go too deep into it, but as far as Hebrew tradition back then, when a man was proposing to a wife, when a man was proposing to a woman, his whole family would be at the table and he would have what was called the cup of the covenant. And after working everything out with the family, he would pass this cup to the one he would like to marry and say, this is my covenant, take and drink of it. And Jesus, when he was doing it at the Last Supper, when he was doing this, he says to his disciples, here is my covenant, take and drink of it. And if the woman would drink, she would be essentially saying, I do. I do. And that is the rest that Jesus wants to call us in. He wants to call us into this loving covenant relationship and say, come away with me, my love. Let's be together. Let me adorn you. Let me love you. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we so desperately desire um, that you would fill us up. There's so many things throughout the week that is demanding my attention and my, my desires and my love. And as David said, today is the day. We want to sit here in front of you as we worship and we want to say, Lord, pour into me. Lord, I want to rest in you. I pray for those that are weary and heavy laden, who have been bearing the weight Lord, of of all of their works on their own shoulders. I pray for them that you would minister to their hearts, Lord, and that they would be able to rest in you, that I would be able to do this, bring this to your feet. Lord, we understand that the Sabbath rest is pointing to the cross of you saying, I so desperately desire you that I will take upon all of your burdens so that you might have eternal rest with me. 
And so as we seek the discipline of the Sabbath, remind us that it is but a picture of that glorious sacrifice you have made on the cross, my Lord. And as we worship you, that we would worship with free hands, free from the burden of an identity in our works. We bring these burdens to you so that you might fulfill us and give us rest, Lord. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen.